0: Welcome to the February 2022 news and discussion episode of the Now for Something Completely Machinima podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm one of the podcast regular hosts. I'm Tracy Harwood, and I'm joined today uh, w- uh by Ricky Grove. Hello. Uh Phil Rice. Hey there. And uh Damien valentine Hello there. Hi. Great to see you guys. Um Now, we've each got a bunch of news items for you this month, and we've also got some things that a few of you who have contacted us wanted us to talk about too, which we'll come on to as we go through today's updates. Um, So thanks for that feedback and keep it coming in. Um, Yep, thank you. Yeah, there's some really great um, points being made actually. Um, First of all, we've got some news items though. So let's start with Damien's overview of Nvidia's special address at the Consumer Electronics Show which took place on the 4th of January. So Damien, what's your update on that?
1: Um, yes, yeah, so the NVIDIA, have, we've been following them very closely because obviously the, the graphics cards are very important for people making machinima. And of course, uh, Omniverse is a platform that we've been following quite closely over the last few months. Um, so in January, they had this presentation where they're going to give an update on um, what's coming next. Uh, so the first things that they announced was a uh, 30, 50, graphics card so it's another rtx one uh, it's a more of a low budget one uh it should be available i say should be available i don't know what the stock levels are actually going to be but it's been released as you listen to this um uh, it could be as hard to find as all the others have been so far and of course there's the 3090 ti which was announced but at the time of recording they haven't given a release date or a price i imagine the price is going to be astronomically high because the yeah the 3090s already are massively expensive. So the TI one is going to be a lot more than that. Um, but uh, so far, no details have come for that. Um, they've uh, announced a whole new range of RTX powered laptops uh, and they showed some of those off. Um, I don't know if those are going to be any good for people making machinery, because obviously a desktop computer is going to be a lot more powerful than um, a laptop. Uh, this is something I think Phil would be better off talking about than me. That's more his area, but um, it, it was available. They've been reaching out with all these laptop manufacturers and there's a lot out there to have a look at If that is the direction you want to go in uh, The big news for Omniverse is it's now out of beta. It's freely available to anyone um, To use so if you want to check that out, you can go to the Omniverse website and download it and um, and see what you can do with it. Uh, there's no new improve. There's no new features added since they released that. At least as far as uh, we're recording this, there's still a lot more that they're working on for the software, which is uh, it's very powerful in what you can do with it now. So more features coming. That's going to be really good to see. Um, but again, they didn't really elaborate on that. It's more about it's out of beta. Uh, and are now available to everyone, rather than having to sign up for it. Uh, Canvas has been updated. Uh, this is the piece of software that I talked about last month, where you draw a little picture and then it comes up with this AI-generated masterpiece. Um, they've made some improvements to that, so the images that you get at the end result are much more <clears throat> higher resolution. There's more template styles to choose from. Um, and there's more features there to, to play around with, which unfortunately I haven't had time to to do just yet. And that kind of covered all of the uh, anything everything related to machinery. But they also, I'm just I mentioning this briefly. They also announced that they're going doing AI driven cars, so that they're self driving cars. And the, part, well, the reason I mention this is. They're using Omniverse to train the AI how to avoid objects. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I was actually tuned out of the presentation at this point. I was cooking at the same time, so I missed the beginning of that. But it sounds like they're using it. It must be the physics and the way the objects handle. So they, they put the AI through this process in their own virtual environment software to, to teach it how to avoid things. And I thought that's really impressive. And that's not something that you expect to get out of software design for making Machinima. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't really elaborate more beyond that. I just, it kind of took me by surprise. And I thought, well, that's worth mentioning, even if it's not directly um, related to Machinima. Right. And there's hope for clumsy people in the future
2: because they can actually figure out how to put it in pe- clumsy people's brains. They could avoid many clumsy problems of dropped plates and... You know, planters being knocked over, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Um, so that that's my coverage of um, mm. the Nvidia presentation. Especially um, mm. uh, uh, more graphics cards in the thirty range, laptops, and the Omniverse is out of beta.
0: Mm. A couple of things struck me about it. I mean, firstly, the premise on which they made that presentation was really quite interesting. Because one of the things that they commented on was the number of creators which they indicated was 45 million and growing. Huh. Now, now I wonder what they actually meant by that because it was at least yeah, 10 yeah. years ago. I recall having a look at some of the figures which suggested that about a third of the world were, were doing creative stuff at that point. So what do you think they're talking about? Is this kind of like purely real time and machinima they're talking about?
2: No, I think they're yeah, talking think, about yeah. people who are collaborating and using the platform.
0: Just purely their platform. Yeah, mm, that's really interesting. Then, then the other thing that they said, which I also thought was quite interesting, and one of what which to me, well, this was the rationale that I thought they gave for the development of the kit in the way that they had was was um, the development in esports, um, and the reason they said um, that they were focusing on that was because of the competitive environment um, where speed of gameplay is the difference between winning and losing um but of course a microsecond is much less of a concern to creatives um, such as machinima makers Mm. um and quite frankly there were relatively few folks in the world that are actually doing competitive gaming lots viewing it but not that many teams participating although i understand we all know there's a huge amount of money floating about in that space so beyond improving the game experience this emphasis on kit i think is is nothing to do really with creatives as such and much more to do with the ai developments that we've heard them talk about which kind well, of my, go, go ahead well i was going to say it kind of raises an interesting matter which is really how creative I, and this is where i think it's going This is why i think it's important to machinimators it's it kind of Links together more of the creative and the industrial processes, which I think are kind of now beginning to align. And I don't know if you guys remember, but I've always said that there are many, many more applications of real time and machinima uh, than purely entertainment and filmmaking, such as for visualizing just no no problem, just about any service scenario. And I did some work, um, I don't know, seven, eight years ago now. which I've published some papers in, um, with the help of um, Chantelle Harvey, who did all the machinima work for me, um, where we kind of visualise new service environments. Um, so I think, I, you know, I think that's quite an interesting development, that they're, they're creating this kit, giving one rationale for its development, and yet probably there's a different story to its, you know, its real application. To do yeah, with you, to do with machinima creators.
2: Yeah, you covered exactly what I was going to add to that. Um, they when I the very first time I got involved with Omniverse, I had a meeting with a couple people, and because they were trying to help me uh, get Omniverse to work on my system, was having trouble, and they were talking about it being uh, originally it was an in house collaboration collaborative application, and they. Th- thought that they could bring this to professionals, they could do several things at once. They could provide an easy way for people to collaborate in real time on projects like uh, designing a car, um, hmm. uh, engineering a product, uh, working on a on a 3D model for uh, small team games. And in addition to that, uh, they could promote their own applications inside of it. So uh, you would have the cross-platform promotion at the same time, mm. th- which I was very happy that when they brought out the uh, uh, number, the, the first public version of it, the 1.0 version as out of the beta, they didn't charge for it. Mm. I was really happy about that because that means that they are serious about making that a collaborative platform. And you see the trend in many other different companies where you have to download a single application in order to organize all of your assets and everything. Well, Nvidia has that idea, but it's much larger. And I Mm. think that's what they're talking about when they're talking about creative, um, uh, uh, people doing creative projects. It's that collaboration inside using ray trace materials and all of that inside of the Nvidia uh, Omniverse environment.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the other thing, which I thought was incredibly interesting, too, was this idea of um, focusing on um, cloud-based game and support infrastructure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which really meant that even if you've got a laggy old computer, you could still participate in this world. And I think that's also, you know, that that to me was, was a very interesting set of developments, too, because mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it really does put the tools in everybody's hands, yeah. irrespective well, of t- whether you can afford the kit or not.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think one one thing I like about the uh, the game world and the graphics technology world is that they're not wholeheartedly embracing open source technology, but they're moving in that direction. Mm -hmm. You you see Epic Games creating grants for for creators, making free technology available. Unreal is still free. NVIDIA is moving in that direction in an idea of giving back to the community while still promoting their project Mm -hmm. because they've made so much money. I mean, Epic has made so much money, NVIDIA has made so much money, they want to give some of it back. And I think that's a, a true thing. And uh, I mean, if you know, Nvidia joined the Blender group uh, to donate to Blender, Epic has done the same thing. Real Illusion did that mm. just recently, joined the Blender Foundation. So that trend is also ongoing and I'm really happy to see it.
0: I, yeah, all of that sounds great. I, from my point of view, I think the only thing we really lack now with, with all of this infrastructure, you know, developing at a pace, which it, which it clearly is, is a good means to find and access those kind of indie studios. Because let's face it, none of those current sharing platforms, such as Facebook or LinkedIn, YouTube, Reddit, TikTok, Patreon, none of them are a good way to share your creative work. Not least because that discovery um, element, that, that, you know, that need to sort of find the stuff is still a function of an algorithm that is um, prioritizing ad revenue. For that platform owner
2: yeah you're right and and it's
0: Um, you know there's nothing out there really which supports creatives other than those platforms there's got to be something better than that so roll roll on that somebody please
1: (laughs) that'd be nice Hmm.
2: good report damien thank you
1: yeah Uh, absolutely
0: the
1: the other thing i found which i'm gonna mention briefly is a is a meme that was going around and i tried to find out if this is true or not and i really hope it is is that is a news station has this contest where they ask people in the local area to submit photos and this girl had been submitting screenshots from Red Dead Redemption Oh yes, uh, <laughs> to the news station and they'd been posting those pictures thinking that they were real photos and not screenshots from the game. Understandable. I read,
0: <laughs>
2: it's a I read that too. I... I had a laugh. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. I hope it's true. <laughs> yeah. Now, Ricky. You for me. Thank you very much, Damon. Ricky, you've got a ton of stuff for us as well. What do you have to tell us?
2: Well, I'll try to keep it brief. The first thing is if you're a filmmaker, a filmmaker, and you want to submit your film to a film festival, the Austin Film Festival has opened their competition uh, to animated shorts. Um, so take a look at it. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, or you can just do Austin Film Festival. The early bird deadline is March 25th. Uh, the regular deadline is May 16th, and the late deadline is 20, uh, June 24th. Now, remember, uh, it, this is a pay-to-play, so you're going to spend about 50 bucks to submit your film. But if that's not a problem for you, I recommend it. Austin Film Festival is a well-regarded uh, um, film festival, and I think you do well. Secondly, uh, Adobe is testing out a new web-based tool that uses AI to simplify audio recording. It's called Project Shasta. It could make recording and editing podcasts and other projects a lot easier. In a sense, um, you can get out, uh, you can set up a time where you can record together. Uh, so far, I haven't heard that it's uh, paying a paying platform yet, but I'll get more information on that. Just, we'll put a link in the show notes, or you can just do uh, Google search "Project Shasta." It looks interesting. And then, uh, secondly. Or thirdly, uh, the Kerbal Space Program 2 is launching somewhere in 2022. Kerbal Space Program uh, originally started in 2015. It was a Mexican company and it was purchased by Take-Two Interactive. It's a great space construction, open space construction game with uh, absolutely gorgeous uh, spaceships, space, Um, platforms, all kinds of stuff, the game action is basically working together with your friends who play these little fun characters in spacesuits and that to design and uh, create space stations for assignments and rocket launch. It was hugely successful and uh, 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 Kerbal Space Program 2 looks even better. They've, added, they've taken a lot of feedback from users. They've updated it. They, it looks better. They've given you more opportunities. Um, YouTube has a, a lot of of interesting um, Kerbal Space Program Machinima, which I like. I think it's a great platform for Machinima. Uh, it's something I'm going to keep looking at uh, through the rest of the year is the space, open space uh, programs for Machinima. So keep an eye on Kerbal Space program, uh, program 2. It's they say 2022 but they don't say what quarter, so I'm not sure which one um, to look at, but we'll we'll keep you updated on it. And lastly, I have to say um, it's not really news, it's more of an observation. i when we first started this uh, uh, podcast, I, I would every week comb the internet and comb YouTube and Vimeo and all the other places to try to find interesting machinima and I didn't always, wasn't always successful um, so I ended up going back and doing a couple classics well I have to say I don't know why but there just seems to be a greater percentage of really good machinima on YouTube in particular now mm-hmm. um, I I went through several different uh, searches this week and came across, at least half a dozen films I could add to our film list, but I I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to burden everybody. But I'll, I'll add the links in our show notes uh, so you can follow through. And so I'm really happy about that. There's some really good stuff being done, uh, not only uh, finally in Unity and Unreal, too. Uh, but that's a real encouraging sign to me, and I'm really happy about it.
0: Yeah, it could be the lockdown coming to fruition.
2: Yes, mm. indeed. Sort of yeah. the
0: last two years worth of work just now coming out. Because I noticed a lot coming out in December as well, which I thought was quite interesting. You know, the fact that there were so many being released during December. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, well, I've got a few updates myself. Um, all right. Which I'll uh, run run past you all. Um, firstly, just a sort of a general point, um, general observation really, um, which was made by Upload VR in, a, in an article that I just sort of came across which was the increase in sales of VR headsets over the Christmas period. And from what I could see, that's an increase of around threefold from what I can tell across the different platforms reported on. There are no official release figures um, for VR headset sales, which I think is one of the challenges with that sector. I think one of the main problems with VR has been that there hasn't really been enough killer apps to justify the investment in the kit. Uh, And quite frankly, it's still a pain in the bum to use it. Um, plus, if you're going to make content for, for it um, or from it, uh, you know the, the VR games themselves are quite a challenge. As we kind of found out when we talked to um, Half Half-Life peeps, Half Peeps, um, um, when he did that uh, a film series, um, Alex, a few months back, when we talked to him, he was saying what a challenge it is to create Machinima in, in VR. Um, so much of this is going to be driven by the metaverse hype. I think the fact that you know VR kit is going to be adopted through all this uh, all this talk going around on what the impact of the metaverse is, um, and the article itself suggests that one of the main drivers is Meta, Facebook, um, and of course that's gone on and on and on, and most of it isn't really very positive. Um, so I think it'll be quite interesting to see how. VR does continue to evolve as a machinima-creating um, tool or resource um, over, the, over the coming months as more and more content gets made in, in that environment. Um, and, and maybe we've reached a critical mass of adopters now. I'm not sure. So that was one point I wanted to make. The other is to do with um, NFTs. Now, we've talked about NFTs. Um, in the past.
1: Boo, boo.
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, i got two comments on this. Firstly, um, Peter Molyneux, who, whom you, you'll recall um, had made that well loved machinima game, The Movies, which was released back in 2005, um, is now, it turns out, working on a, a business open world sim where creators can earn money from their creative work using blockchain technology. Um, So think Minecraft and Second Life. Um, And in Molyneux game, you can already buy land. Uh, And once the game releases, which is um, scheduled to be later this year, you'll be able to own your own assets um, as well in, in, you know, after you've kind of created them. So you own them, continue to um, take a stake out of them. Um, Although I think uh, it sounds a little different to... um, from what I understand of it, it sounds a little different to sort of what, what you do with Second Life um, because you you continue to earn money from them um, using this um, crypto setup, cryptocurrency setup, which they called legacy. So it implies that you continue to generate revenue from it. Um, I think that's going to be quite an interesting one to watch, not, not least because it's, you know, it, it's still rolling on with this NFTs that um, we haven't really kind of bottomed out. That, yeah, yeah. that said, the second thing on NFTs that we picked up um, this this last couple of weeks is it's sounding really quite interesting, and that's that John Gator of the Matrix um, Bullet Time infamy, infamy has also created some real time machinima content, which evokes the Matrix experience that he's now listed on on an NFT market, and these are not just films, but they're snapshots of a virtual experience with eggs embedded into them that buyers can find for themselves. So it's kind of like a mini Matrix-like, Matrix Awakens-like experience with specific content and sold whatever that market rate will, will bear what the exchange determines. Now they're listed on OpenSea at the moment, although I couldn't actually see much trading taking place on the works and neither is it clear whether the pieces on the market have been made using parts from matrix awakens experience say the cutouts or to my um to my point earlier really about um vr um are they uh are they bits and pieces that he's made himself and can he make um um you know can can you i suppose can you collect them really um i think a lot of this depends on along on on the the viability of the content itself now of course you know we know that the matrix has in least at least in theory got a you know pretty wide audience, but I think the other part of it depends on the 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 name of the artist, which of course John John right. is, you know John isn't right. him. So I think he's onto something in terms of the concept here, but whether other machinima creators can can do a similar thing like create you know part of their film in say an unreal, un, you know as a like an unreal. Um, you know frame or you know part of part of the story if you like and then try and sell that as a as a an experience i think that that might be one option that they're kind of thinking may look viable um but i think if all you're doing is is using unreal to create your own films and then putting your films out there i think that's doing something else and i'm not sure that that will be viable in this nft kind of market context yeah that he's yeah, clearly that's a good point developing so i think that's a really interesting development in machinima yeah. and nfts i mean we always kind of knew that there would be that interesting that john um gator is one of the first to jump into that yeah, yeah.
2: Wagon, i, I agree i agree
0: okay so another bit of news um, um philip rosedale is now back at second life yeah what the hell happened
2: there I what's going that, on that
0: is incredible um so I think it's really exciting for those creators working in Second Life, but also something of great interest to other metaverse creators. Um, because, of course, you know, Philip was one of the founders in creating uh, the, the first sort of viable metaverse environment, Second Life, which most folks seem to have forgotten in this kind of hyped up world about talking, talk, talking no. about it. Now, um, it's not actually him working for second life what what's actually happened here from what i understand is that his uh company which is high fidelity which is as we know a vr focused startup has um basically merged with linden labs and as part of that merger philip is now doing some um strategic consultancy with the Linden Labs team. And it, it not just brings in Philip, but a load of the other high fidelity team members as well. So it's a really interesting development, I think.
2: What do you think we can expect from his involvement at Second Life?
0: Well, I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I, I Well, you know, what he's been working on is spatial audio in, in recent years. I mean, we had to dabble around with that um, very early right. last year, right. if you remember. Yeah. I, th- I think the VR side of things might have something to add to this too. Uh, mm-hmm. we know that that philip dabbled around with um <clears throat> you know some of the very early what, what was the oculus rift wasn't it the very early rift headset um right. was um compatible with second life all those years ago i remember uh investing in one of those and having a go with it all that time back um so maybe we can see a bit more out of this i don't know what do you guys think that might come out of that i'm not
2: sure since he's on a consulting basis on um, the the ability of him to have influence might be limited. Um, Their biggest problem has been their technical side of their uh, organization, not so much the content side because it's filled with all sorts of interesting creators, but it's always had streaming problems. It's always had resolution problems. It's had animation issues. Mm. So I don't think he's going to be able to affect any changes there because that sort of heavy lifting architecture that, that they have to work on. And they just haven't the money, spent the money to do that. Mm.
0: Good point. Really good point. I think one of the things that they have got, though, which many other organizations haven't, is the virtual currency side of things. Mm. They've got that stitched up um, well and truly and have had for, for years. And I think they'll draw a lot on that experience.
2: I have to say I'm, I'm dubious of, of organizations that are creative. They're, they're focused on creative, uh, artists and also their creations. Suddenly in getting themselves involved in money-making, I think there's a, something changes when you start doing things for money. Um, yeah, but it's I, one don't of
0: think, I don't think they're doing it for the money, are they? I don't I don't see them in that way. I, all I'm saying well, is... Well, then why
2: are they adding the NF... For example, the fellow doing the NFTs and you could uh, put your projects out there in order to get a uh, profit from NFTs.
0: Yeah. Okay, well, that's not in Second Life.
2: Oh, okay, that's, okay. That's not... I guess I'm mixing up my stories. I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> that's
0: okay. It's not a problem. No, I don't think Second Life are... are um, in the NFT world, but they do have an exchange rate, uh, an exchange currency, don't they?
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: Linden dollars. Yeah. Um, Well,
2: I guess it's just in general, any organization that is creative focused, as soon as money comes into the picture, it changes people's motives. And it also uh, brings in a marketplace uh, attitude. For example, in an NFT marketplace, you look at what's sold and then you start or you start pushing your creations towards what's sold as opposed to what you want to create. You know what I mean? And that's always been a frustration for me. So that's just a general comment on on that, you know, because I was always happy about machinima because it wasn't about money. When you got involved, you know, I, I remember when I first got involved in machinima and people wanted me to act in their uh uh, shows, and if I like the script, I would, and they'd say, well, hey, let me send you $100, or let me send you $50 for this, and I, I would never take it, mm. because as soon as you have money involved in it, there's a sort of obligation on the other side. Yeah. If they're paying you, then you have to perform a function, whereas if there's no money involved in it, it's based on your good word. It's based on your your faith in in working with that other person for a different end. Um, that's just a general observation on it well i don't know maybe i'm half cocked well no, see. i
3: think i think i think you're right Ricky honestly i mean second life has long had <clears throat> excuse me long had a the currency that's been around for a long time the, the the marketplace people able to to sell what they create and that does introduce market dynamics in terms of if you want to Make money on that platform. You are going to study what are other people having su- success selling, um, but that that money making aspect of it is amongst the users um, more so than it is Linden. Yeah, they kind of you know play the role of the federal government, if you will, and they regulate the currency and and make certain decisions and all that. Um, but I I don't think that anybody at sec- at the top of Second Life is not doing what they're doing with it for money. Um, and that's that's either fortunate or it's just a reality of the world. I don't know, but I mean, if you look at if you look at the way so i I've done a little bit of experimenting with affiliate marketing over the years, which is where you can sign up to you know host the ads or things like that for certain products on a website that you run, and then you can make a percentage off of of sales and things like that. And when you join an affiliate program, the vendor, the, the pr- product provider, provides you with marketing collateral to use, banner ads and all that. And basically it, it kind of conveys, here's the emphasis of what we want you to emphasize when you're selling this as a product. Well, Second Life participates in that and has for years. And if you look through their marketing collateral, every single banner image that they want you to host on their site with the second life logo on it every single one is one of two subject matters either advertising the idea of having a virtual pet so it'll be you know an, an avatar there with a dog and you know you could have a virtual pet that won't actually poop in your house or something to that effect <laughs> i guess is is the benefit of that <laughs> or two scantily clad a scantily clad couple posing together in, okay, it's not Kama Sutra or anything, but it's, you know, laying around the the spa, you know, or something. Um, romance, basically. Like, a, it's, oh, it's basically see. the second life equivalent of the cover of a Harlequin romance novel, if you remember <laughs> those, Yeah? Oh, yeah, a, yeah. You know? That's how they have been encouraging affiliates across the globe to promote Second Life. <laughs> which is a very different understanding. Of, you know. So basically that turns Second Life into a, you know, Tinder oh. with graphics, if you will, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, that's not what the people that I've known over the years who have gotten excited about Second Life um, and who promote Second Life and who do a lot of things in Second Life. And we could name... Dozens. I'm not going to try start naming people. We'll leave people out. There's so many. Um, that's never what they talk about as the plus. You know, it's 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 these very deeply, you know, creating 3D experiences for someone, and and you know, uh, uh, you know, using it for machinima is just one thing. But there's people who, it's not. I don't want to make a movie. Of this I want to create a, a place in this virtual world and have people come experience it in in Second Life, not outside on YouTube, right in here where it's all around you, where there's not really a set camera, you're the camera. What you look at is what you look at, you know?
1: Yeah, um, like yeah. a augmented
3: reality experience in real life in there. So uh, that's what creators um, that know about Second Life, love about Second Life. Mm-hmm. Not that I might find a date, you know? So yeah. to some degree, I would say, uh, I, what I would hope for the, let's say powers that be at Second Life is that they kind of really take some serious stock of how what kind of image do we want to create for this place? Because it mm-hmm. seems like marketing wise, the emphasis has been on, uh, you know, people who come in there for some kind of, uh, you know, enhanced dating experience of some kind. And maybe that's sure. because some study that they did said, hey, you know what? Our longest term subscribers, that's what they're there for. So that's where we make the money. And so let's attract more of that. That's a marketer's approach, you know, or a salesperson's approach. Right. But if right. they really Perfect. want it to be a metaverse experience, my God, I hope the metaverse ends up being more than about more than just that, you yeah. know, Not, I, I, I don't, I don't want Ashley Madison with graphics. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't want no, it to no, be a place that if I go there, my wife wonders if I'm having an no. e-affair, you know? <laughs> it shouldn't be that. But that's kind of the reputation that Linden themselves have encouraged promotion of it
1: to be well, used for that. If it's because over the last two years, there has been a great emphasis on virtual dating. with the, All the dating apps have gone to virtual dates. because That's it's probably true, Damien. Yeah. So they're getting in on that. Trying but to think their their to emphasis
3: it on it goes back further than the past two years oh okay. it's not it's it definitely not something does, yeah. that
1: that they shifted to
3: post covid they were already promoting it that way
1: Oh, okay I didn't um, realize that
3: yeah yeah um so well, and but, really no. I think I don't remember exactly when Philip left there Tracy but um I think cool. it's all since since he departed I don't I don't know if there's any cause effect there or not but
0: it's 2013-ish I think yeah when, yeah when we're 2017? talking about I
3: first noticed it about five years ago. So, oh, I think,
0: it, I think it goes back, right, almost to the beginning of it, what you're talking yeah, about. Definitely. Yeah,
3: definitely. There was well, always well, these two different ones. And I get that that's, a, that's an attractive part of it for some people, but I'm saying if if really what they're looking at is, well, we want to create this place that people are going to take seriously for, like what we did, Ricky, with the, the Machinima Expo. Right. If we had thought of Second Life as just a, a virtual dating platform, I don't think we would have even considered it as a venue. But we knew, of sec- we knew Second Life was more than that. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how we discover I guess we discovered that by using it. But if they're yeah. wanting to attract and regrow their user base, um, I just, I, I think that they need to, their, their marketing strategy needs to Change. Uh, reflect who it is they want in there. And not just people who, hey, I can look like, you know, anybody I want and. You know, I can be a virtual Amsterdam hooker. Yay. You know, Well,
2: I one of the things that I really liked about it was, well, two things. One was the exploration of the various creations. So you'd get together with a buddy and it wasn't a date, but it was more like a, hey, let's get together and chat and then we go spent see hours
3: you. doing that. Yeah. You and go, I, it was fantastic. Go see
2: in, yeah. Go see interesting things, you know? Yeah that was so much fun that social aspect of it and then traveling together
0: uh, that was just so great yeah
3: yeah yeah
0: well so, hopefully we'll and- see more focus on the on the sides that we that we i mean not it's not just us is it i think there's a lot of people that are in that that world well oh, i
3: think those places and those activities still exist yeah i think there are people who still do that there yeah. was one um, i don't remember what the name of the performer was, um, and I'm not sure what pronouns to use for this performer, but they did a, it was a comedy act. Uh, Lauren Wayland, is that is that ring a bell? Is that?
0: Yes, that rings a bell. name that
3: they went by? Yes. And uh, for years, and just attracted as many people as could fit on a sim would come to see these performances, and it was you know, this, this kind of glamorous, like, uh, oh, I can't remember the actress's name, but you know, like a, a blonde bombshell avatar and this really deep voice guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he was so funny. He, she, par- pardon <laughs> me. Cause I, I don't know, uh, I, I don't know what the full story was there, but highly, highly entertaining. Uh, things like that would go on, or Frank uh Frank Fox, yeah. who we all know. Oh yeah, um, Frank was great. He he for years performed. um I can't remember uh-huh. the name that he used, the stage name he used, but he would go and live perform music in there. Hathead
1: rickenbacker
3: if you remember him right, from back right. in the day, yeah. yes, he uh-huh. would do musical performances with people at, in different places and stuff. Yeah, and I mean when I think of Second Life uh, at in its heyday, that's what I think of, and it, I just Absolutely. feel like it's a shame that that. It doesn't seem like that the marketing people there realized that that stuff exists and how unique it was, and maybe still is, that you can do that, gather in a space with other people and experience those things, live activities.
1: Um, as far as I know, some of those people you just mentioned still perform. In they probably life. do,
3: yeah. I haven't been in in ages, so I don't know, but I'm, I'm sure that they do. Uh, Chantal or someone who's who I think is more in touch with it would know. Probably knows the names of all these people that I'm, I'm completely butchering. But um, if you're out there, Chantel, drop us a, a comment or something and, and correct me. But anyway, yeah, Second Life is extraordinary, uh, even with all its glitches. Yeah. And um, still very,
0: very active. And Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, think I so. don't there's think there's we've seen loyal, the end of it by a long shot.
3: Yeah. No. And, but and for think... me, the, what's attractive about attracting more people in there is that will give Lyndon the money to address the issues that Ricky's been talking about.
0: Absolutely. Let's hope so it does. So if we're gonna attract
3: people in there, let's attract people that actually want to make things or experience things others have made and not just, you know, yeah. hook up. Absolutely. That's, that's you know, I'll sign off with my prude rant now, you know, it's not about prudishness. It's just, it seems like a waste to me of, of a platform that is still to this day, extraordinary in its capabilities,
2: and well, it's feels understand. largely I'm, untapped. I don't understand what you have against virtual pets. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I, like the real I just ones. hate
3: following them around with a virtual baggie
2: <laughs> to pick up their
3: virtual droppings.
0: You <laughs> know? So. That's a good point. Yeah. Okay, good one, well, I've got another bit of news, um, which in some ways I think is yet another, well, How many more nails can there be in this coffin? This is Microsoft and 343 Industries have now finally closed the the Halo Xbox 360 online multiplayer servers. Um, So for fans of the original Red vs. Blue long-running machinima series, which was made by Rooster Teeth in Halo 4, this is, is, I think, the very final nail um, of an era. Uh, Although... (laughs) <laughs> it does look like some of the older games are keeping their player customization option open so um yeah I just wanted to say yeah. thanks thanks to Jason Boomer for asking about that one. Um, consider it mentioned
2: Now now wait a second Tracy do you ever see those horror films where the climax they finally yeah. kill the monster right? <laughs> coming back. Then the credits come up yeah And the credits finish. And the monster shows up again. I know. That's what's going to happen here.
0: Well, you know, it already did, didn't it, in October, as they, they released yet another, what was it called? Family family Splinters? Splinters Family? I can't remember. Red Not versus me. Blue, yet another rendition of uh, a spin-out from the canon. Uh, well, it's
2: really nice to see that they're going in new creative direction. <laughs> You know, <laughs> Rooster Teeth has always been about being creative yeah. and doing new, new, exploring new forms and new ideas. You hear that, Rooster
0: Teeth? I, we, do you know what? Let's look forward to that one.
1: <laughs> well, there's a new Halo game that's just been released. So that, there's that platform available. That's the monster coming back.
0: Oh, well, there you go. Of course, they haven't actually done cinema for years, have they? It's been just animation. Yeah, Because they gave up on the actual, you know, real gameplay stuff a yeah, 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 long, yeah. long, long time ago. But like I said, I think, you know, the switching off of these servers is a little bit symbolic to a certain generation of which I, wanna... I think a few of our listeners will be some.
2: I'd like to do a little uh, plug here for Ben Grusey's history Um uh, podcast that's part of our uh, Completely Machinima, I just finished editing the video for uh, Ben's January history. And what he does is he does a, a timeline of machinima history for a particular month. So, for example, he'll start and say, 1996 in January, and then he'll say what the important events occurred in January in 96, 97, 98, and then all the way up to 2006, 2007, before the big uh, Machinima.com debacle occurred. Uh, and they're, they're really, really interesting. It, ben has just, he's been the archivist of Machinima. Um, we, I don't think we've given him enough credit for that. Uh, for more than 20 years. For, yes. for more than 20 years. Absolutely. Uh, collecting movies. And he's put all of these on archive.org. Um, and he does this information for us. And I, I just want to thank him for doing that, but also encourage you that if you are any way remotely interested in Machinima history, um, check out his podcast. It usually comes uh, as the last podcast of the month, mm-hmm. uh, Machinima history with Ben Grusey. And thank you, Tracy, for helping produce that as well. But check it out though. The first video version of that will go on uh, at the end of this month on our YouTube channel. And I really like it. I think it's gonna be really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Ben. Because Ben was also the co-author on the Pioneers book, and without his yes. archiving specialism, that book would never have been written. So
1: he's yep. a,
0: he's an absolute boon to the, to the community, really. I think probably now might be a good time to bring in a question from Matthew Loris, who was Zeke from TMU, who's asked us to reflect on what the differences are between machinima and animation and their approaches when making movies is machinima now the same as animation or is there something still that keeps them apart Um, and how could you tell the difference between machinima movie versus animation movie and are the techniques the same when creating these movies so he's asked a lot of questions in there but I think it's actually a really interesting point to reflect on that given a lot of the things that we've been talking about already in this episode Um, so Shall I start and then you guys pick me up?
3: Sure. Mm-hmm. I just want to start by saying I, I think that what he's asking is it's Tom Jantel's favorite question. It is. What <laughs> What is machinima? Yeah. Tom loves. I wish Tom could be on today because he loves talking about that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know what, we'll put a link in to the interview that I did with Tom, which answers that very question.
3: Yes, yes, But yes. Let's,
0: just, let's just be kind of serious for a minute, because I think I think there's some really important points to be made here.
2: All right. All
0: right. The first is, you know, when we, when we go back to the very early definitions of machinima, what we, were, what we said back then was that it was about using a 3D game environment to create content in real time, what was called machine cinema. And actually it was Hugh Hancock quite early on that added in that word animation, right in the middle of the term, partly, partly I have to say to justify the continued use of the misspelling of the concatenation (laughs) of those two terms, machinima, machine animation cinema. So it was a cock up all round. Um, Now clearly animation can be made in many different ways. Um, Now using techniques, uh, you know, I mean, we've had hundreds of different techniques that we've talked about over the, over the years, you know, for, for, for animation, stop motion, um, keyframe. And now even um, animators are beginning to catch up and use 3D environments, whereas our definition of machinima, I don't think has really moved on that much. And I think more like what it's about is the rest of the world catching up with the techniques that the pioneers in machinima originally devised. And I think it would be fair to say that the games engines that can be used for Machinima have definitely evolved. So if you take, for example, the Unreal Engine, uh, I mean, that that was really in its early days, Unreal Tournament. Uh, and, and now it makes much more of being an open tool rather than a predetermined set of assets and resources. Um, I think it's worth remembering that a lot of machinima is game-based, which is to say that it is inspired by or informed by specific games in some way. Um, and of course, you know, machinima evolved not not least because game-based assets as tool sets were a way to access creative resources in a cost-effective way. Um, so if you think about un- Unreal and Omniverse and a whole load of other tool sets, they are now freely available to creators, notwithstanding the amount of money that you need to to actually have the 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 kit. But for a long time, one of the things that held animation and machinima apart was the distinctive aesthetic. And we've talked about that a lot on this show: the differences between poor quality rendered game outputs rather than sort of higher quality animation outputs. But it's I think increasingly hard to tell the difference, um, and and I think it was. Always going to be the case that that gap would close as games improved their cinematic quality. Um, so, I think another distinct difference um, was the quality of creative storytelling in machinima versus animation. And I think that's a really important point now because as the games themselves have um, developed and evolved, we've seen, you know, and we commented on this in our December show. A huge amount of different types of approaches to creating machinima content, and it's continually improving and continually evolving. And next week, when we look at our films, you'll see you know yet more different types of machinima than we've reviewed so far on the show. So I think that is an you know something that's really worth kind of reflecting on. So we, the fact that there are all these different uh, types of approaches to machinima creation. I don't think you see that in animation. It's definitely not true in animation, but I think it's perhaps worth reflecting on why that's not true. And that takes me back to a comment that Kim Library made when, when um, Ben and I interviewed him for the Pioneers book. Now, what Kim said was that animators in the movie business that did not go to animation school have a very different way of doing things which is probably going to upset the whole animation industry. And the example he gave was in creating human expressions. And he said that tra- trained animators tend to create a uh, bigger than life performances for, you know, for their characters, but that self-taught real time creators tend to make use of the very subtle nuances in human behavior, which they've learned over time. Some genuinely real, differences, and we're seeing that play out in the, for example, in the, in the, say, the MetaHuman set of tools that Unreal are making available. So I think you can now still tell the difference between traditional animation and game-based animation, even though you might find it particularly hard, increasingly hard, I'd say, to tell which game was actually used in the Machinima itself. And I think, if anything, Machinima remains at the very forefront of pushing boundaries of creative practice, um, which, you know, taught animation just isn't doing. So there's my 10 cents worth on that one. What do you guys think?
2: Golly, I don't think I could have put it any better. I mean, there's nothing more you can say. You've encompassed the entire complete answer to the question. The only thing I would say is that it, I tend to look at it as the difference between amateur, and when I say amateur, I mean the original definition of amateur, not as a uh, derogatory comment like poor craftsmanship. An amateur, which is somebody who has a passion for something, and professional. A professional works in a marketplace in which they have to structure their work according to certain standards and subjects. Um, Animation tends to operate in that realm, which means you learn um, through hard work, how to do certain techniques, and there are uh, acceptable looks for animation. If your animation doesn't look like a Pixar film, then uh, it doesn't. Uh, it's not acceptable. You have to redo it until it does. Versus somebody who does an uh, an amateur production, um, uh, and and is able to do it just the way they want because they're they want to get the work out. They don't have to spend uh, uh, two weeks on. Um, five minutes of animation, you know what I mean? Like they do at, at Pixar. It's the difference between doing something for passion and something for profit.
0: Yeah, well said. I forgot about the money it, but that's so true.
1: I was thinking what you just said about uh, self-taught animators and it got me thinking about my own, the way I do official animation myself in my projects. And I am a self-taught animator and you're absolutely right. I go for the more realistic approach I um, expect from watching people around me or if i need to i look in a mirror and sort of copy my own expressions when i'm yeah, trying to figure out how yeah. to make a character look rather than the more exaggerated look you would get in a uh someone who's been trained to do animation they would do the more exaggerated movements uh and facial expressions and uh yeah i can completely see where that's coming from and it wasn't actually something i thought about and mm. so you just said that it's th- that's just the way i animated faces and that was it yeah
0: phil what do you think
3: Yeah, for me, the the central element is the real-time quality of the animation. Um, If you look back at when Machinima, or originally it was just Quake movies before that term existed, uh, the reason it was attractive to creators is because because of that rendering time. Uh, If you were to... We're talking about late 90s here. So if you were to try and render out What back then would have been, high-res would have been 800 by 600 pixels. You know, roughly one quarter of the size of HD video that's common on YouTube now. It would take days to render a few minutes of footage. Um, It was excruciating. If your computer could even handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would take days for you to see the finished product. You'd be working in Lightwave or Maya or one of those 3D Studio Macs, if you could afford it, they were all super expensive. Mm. Or maybe you would use you know, some other tool that was cheap and just a lot harder to use. And you would be working in wireframe views and views that weren't the full, you wouldn't know really how it's gonna look until you rendered it. And so even just to render, to see how's this turning out, to render a single frame would take hours. Uh, this was the reality of creating Computer animation content at that time. So along come video games, um, who have, you know, unwittingly stumbled right into this technology that that not stumbled into, they created this technology where something could be rendered live on the screen um, in higher resolution than than the videos that we were scraping away to do, um, and it could be rendered rendered in real time, 30 frames or more a second. It was astonishing. And so early machinima makers, it was all about hacking the infrastructure of that oh, game yeah. to get access to that engine. Yes. And I don't care if my character looks like a soldier, it's a dude, it's a humanoid. Right. And I can make them do something different or I can just capture, I can be the camera and someone else can move the guy. I mean, these things were, we take them for granted now, but it was extraordinary. Mm -hmm. Um, And then along comes id Software and builds in, for a completely different purpose, builds in the ability to record and play back something within the game. So all of a sudden, these things that people had been seeing since the 80s with demo scene, which were real-time rendered animations, but done with mathematics and programming, and it was not an easy entry level to do that. You kind of had to be a a real nerd to do that, you know? And and all of a sudden, here's this game that has abstracted all of that into an interface that, that anybody could use, really. You know, and all the real-time rendering yep. and all the mathematics, you don't have to know any of that. The game does that. And now I just want to inject my own actions into it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, for people like Hugh... Uh, Hancock, who were you know getting involved with it early in those days, he was completely capable even then of doing traditional animation. He was complete. He was completely capable. If he didn't know how to do it, he knew how to talk someone into doing it and being on his team. He knew how to infect someone else with his passion, and he could have got that together and done that. The thing that held him back was real-time rendering. Uh, was was traditional rendering there's just not enough time, you know? It's almost prescient now, given that he was taken from us so early. But back then, what he would say is, I don't have enough years left in my life to make the movies I wanna make if this is how I have to make them. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. And then he stumbles into Machinima, yeah, or Quake movies, as it was called. And all of a sudden, I can produce, I can produce my movie faster than Pixar can, not just because They're going for a level of perfection that we aren't. Not just because they have millions of dollars worth of employees and animators and engineers all working on this, but because uh, the rendering, even for them, they had to have this farm of servers working on it. And even for Pixar, one frame of the Toy Story movie took took days to render for them. For them, with all those millions to throw at it. So that's what, made Machinima different, and Tracy, you're absolutely right. It's not Machinima that's really moved. Okay, the games have moved forward. They've evolved. They got more advanced, but it's the entire animation, the the entire attitude about computer animation has Uh. moved toward the techniques Uh. that empower Machinima. Absolutely. The entire thing has moved that way. Look at NVIDIA. uh, Look at Omniverse. Look at what Reillusion has done. Yeah, yeah. All of these, they're all, they see that real-time part and realize now, even professionals want that because they can get the same quality the high quality as is on the Mandalorian with a freely available set of tools from uh, Unreal. It's astounding. Yep. Yeah. Astounding. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the, the difference for me as a maker was always in the technique. And, uh, you know, yeah, some of the, the skill set has changed for sure you need you you know there's more things that you need to know how to do um if you want the exact movie you're looking for you can still do machinima the old-fashioned way by the way and it's easier than it's ever been because now you just capture the footage with a third-party tool but you know the, the skills that matter which is deciding what in the heck to even produce and and you know crafting the idea and getting the idea in ship shape before you even fire up an engine those skills are still the same. Yeah, you know, It's just now the possibilities are, I don't even know what the limit is now. Well, I, you know? I think you point, you've made great,
2: great points there, Phil. And I think one of the things that I want to emphasize is the attitude. Yes. The attitude of the machinima filmmaker is in a rebellious and personal. It's about community. Whereas the attitude of the professional animator is I'm doing a job. Now, that doesn't mean they, they're, they're not creative and they're not passionate about their, their job, but they're doing a job, whereas the machinima filmmaker is doing it for a different reason and there's a certain rebelliousness in it, which is why you find so many satires of, of parodying the game itself, of turning the game on its head, you know? I just love that about the machinima. It's one of the first things that attracted me.
0: Absolutely. And the, the community aspect is absolutely the thing that drew me in as well. Yep, yep. So that's a really great question, Matthew. I hope we've given you the answer yeah, it is to, a good your, to your question. Uh, we really enjoyed um, tackling that one. Thanks for that.
3: Um, yep.
0: And and finally, um, today, I know we're up to time, but Phil, you've got an update for us as well. Would you like yeah, to? Yeah, mine
3: are super, super quick. So uh, Rockstar Games has, has uh, launched their next, uh, let's call it plan. To uh, to uh, their next public relations plan to uh, attract more users to their games, and that is they've decided to uh, uh, to pursue a lawsuit against a group of modders. So um, we're excited to see what will come to Rockstar Games from that. It's it's something that we've we've talked about this how many times, Ricky? Of I... why don't the game companies just sue the users of the games? That's the way. I've... I
2: want to, to win them hearts them and
3: minds. That's the way, right? <laughs> yeah. Lawsuits. So, yeah. So, and there's a lot of misinformation, information and misinformation. And honestly, I don't know what's what, but I mean, the, the, of course the lawyers for, for GTA are saying, well, they stole some, you know, they, they misappropriated some copyrighted game code. And then the, the, the defense is saying they didn't do that. They just documented what was already out there. Tracy, thanks for, for filling me in on that right before this this show. Who knows? To me, the, the the story is the fact that they're actually suing. Yes, um, yes. <clears throat> very unfortunate. Um, you know, almost as unfortunate as the uh, the the re-release of the old, the, the GTA <laughs> games themselves. <laughs> almost, almost that bad. Not quite that bad, <laughs> but almost that bad. So we'll keep an eye on that story and let you know of any developments there. <laughs> and then, um, in in lighter news. YouTube announced right near the end of the year that uh, there have now been uh, of videos on YouTube that have Minecraft as the subject or made with Minecraft or that kind of thing. There have now been a, a total of one trillion views wow. of that, Astonishing. which is just, just amazing. Um, in, a, in a separate story, which I didn't link there, uh, it turns out that uh, about 950 uh, 995 billion of those views people weren't weren't, weren't terribly satisfied with what they saw <laughs> <laughs> and a, and no, least... here's the thing minecraft people who play Minecraft they love minecraft they, they watch it all day long breakfast lunch and dinner they want to see people doing unique stuff with it they want to see people building with it they have a lot of fun with it there's there's some some of the biggest youtubers, uh, and some of the biggest streamers on Twitch. And to this day, Minecraft, a 15, 16 year old game now, is still one of the most watched things on all of Twitch. Yep, yep. It's unbelievable. I,
0: well, yes, unbelievable yeah. is about it. It's,
3: Thanks for that, Phil. So congratulations to Minecraft for that. That's, or Mojang. That's, uh, that's pretty neat.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Um, now we've also got a request from pandora's 3d films um, which is to discuss uh translating a prose story to a visual medium um like damien's been doing in his air to the empire series and I think what we're going to do with that is defer to a special episode where um,
3: It Daniel- That sounds like a quick subject. I mean, it's, just,
0: you know, it's a great Ricky, subject.
3: 30 seconds and we're out? I mean, no, we're- no, 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 <laughs> no.
0: I'm not going to do that because I really want to hear that one myself. Here's I,
3: my advice. I
2: think don't do it. Right there. Don't do it. That's my <laughs> advice.
3: <laughs> we should plan for one of the... Maybe, maybe for next month. Maybe it'll be a slow news month. No, I plan, think... We should plan an episode where we discuss that and we could pull... Some adaptations as examples, because there have been some great that's good. ones. Yeah. Been yeah, some really great ones. Well, I was going to um,
0: suggest that Damien and Ricky do do a special podcast on it
3: because, you know, I like that even better because I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> yeah.
1: good idea. sure. sure. Yeah, five. that's great. Yes, yeah, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> right. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway,
3: anyway, Ricky I'm, has nothing else to do, so this is perfect.
0: He's, he's the expert on this. Just he's before the show, seven, he was like many.
3: Phil. I just don't have enough enough to do in my life. I know he said that's me too. Can you give me more to do, please?
0: And that's our show today, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Actually, it is. (laughs) That's it for this episode. So we hope you've enjoyed our coverage of latest news items um, and the discussion today. don't forget you can give us some feedback on the usual social channels or you can contact us directly using the addresses on our website at completely we'd love to hear more suggestions for things you would like us to cover and thanks in the meantime to those of you who have taken the time to comment to jason zeke or matthew pandora john really appreciate it and look forward to seeing you next episode bye for now bye bye see ya